0: Welcome back to Beats Rochester Rundown, your source of news and things to do, presented this week by Ultra Federal Credit Union. Did you know Ultra supports area youth by providing financial literacy classes? Through partnerships with local schools, Ultra is teaching children how to navigate the field of money management. They do this by meeting kids at their level, from teaching four-year-olds the value of saving to answering real-world questions from high schoolers on college and career readiness. That's just one of many ways Ultra sets itself apart from the pack, learn more about ultra by visiting our homepage mencitybeat.com this week on the rundown sean's on with a recap of the rochester civic theater saga where did this come from and where is it headed we've got news about a popular restaurant spreading its wings and laying plans for a third location plus Rochester Public Schools weighing the best way to push back its school's start times, and DMC laying out their ideas to help small businesses through part of the city construction. And as always, we've got our picks for events to check out this weekend, plus news of a new country record, Born in the North. I am Isaac James. It's Friday, February 14th, 2020. Happy Valentine's Day, y'all. And let's get to the news. Rochester Public Schools is currently looking for the best way to push back its unusually early start times for its middle and high school students. Members of the district's bell committee heard multiple options to push back the 7.40 a.m. opening bell, with new proposed times ranging from 8 o'clock to 8.30 a.m. Rochester has one of the earliest opening bells in the state. Only 1% of Minnesota teenagers have to be at school before 8 o'clock, and the average school start time in the state is nearly 40 minutes after Rochester's. For any change to take effect this fall, the school board must come to an agreement with busing company first student in about a month. When we were at DMC Corporation's board meeting last week reporting on 2 Discovery Square, we made a note to follow up on another item that was discussed. DMC's business forward initiative designed to support businesses along Peace Plaza during heart of the city related construction slated for this summer. The proposal calls for an 8% cost premium to prioritize things like accessibility and added programming to support said businesses. If we take the original $15 million price tag associated with Heart of the City, the total cost of the initiative comes out to $1.2 million. We talked with DMC officials and business owners alike to gauge their feelings on this complex issue. I highly recommend reading this full article, and it's up on the site now. Finally, there's news of a restaurant roosting on East Circle Drive. Roosters Barn and Grill announced their plans to open up location number three between the Northeast Chateau Theater and U.S. Bank on Monday. The third location joins the original on West Circle Drive near Costco, and Roosters, Two in the shops on Main Retail Complex. Roosters said they have plans for an outdoor game space plus darts and pool inside. Construction will start soon and should finish by the end of the year. Check the conversation on Rochester's feature and share your own thoughts by heading to our Facebook page, facebook.com MedCityBeat. If you have been following the headlines in recent weeks, you know the Rochester Civic Theater is in a bind and has been for quite some time. Newly disclosed financial documents show the Civic Theater was bleeding money under the leadership of former director Kevin Miller, who abruptly resigned in late January. Among the most troubling details, payroll checks bouncing, utility bills going unpaid, and board members putting up personal loans to keep the theater from sinking. These are among the findings included in a draft from the city's Outside Agency Oversight Committee, which met this week to discuss the theater's future. The work of the committee, made up of three city council members, helped bring the theater's dire financial situation into the public view. They are now tasked with forwarding recommendations to the rest of the council on how best to move forward. To understand more about how we got to this point, plus what it means for the future of the theater, we bring in Med City Beat editor Sean Baker. Sean has been closely following recent developments regarding the theater.
1: Sean, if we could, let's back up. For listeners just tuning into this story, how did we get here? What we know now is that prior to Miller's departure, there had been some rumblings around town about financial issues affecting the theater. That was a cause of concern for members of the Oversight Committee, given that the city both provides a building for the organization and kicks in an extra $200,000 annual subsidy. That money is supposed to go to the maintenance of the facility, but there had been reason to believe, for reasons we now know today, as you mentioned in the intro with the checks bouncing, that the taxpayer money had been diverted from its intended use toward everyday expenses to help keep the theater afloat. That caught the attention of Councilmembers Nick Campion and Michael Wojak, both of whom sit on the Oversight Committee. On January 16th, the two of them emailed Miller requesting additional financial records. Miller at the time indicated he would be prepared to present at the oversight committee. However, he resigned just about a week later uh, before the meeting took place. And then from there, things have seemed to spiral downward. Can you get into some of the details on what the city later learned? Here's what we know that around mid-2019, the board became aware of some of the financial challenges. Now, it's important to note that the theater at the time, at least from a public perspective, had been doing very well. They were selling out shows. The end product was, by all accounts, well-received. But in trying to drum up interest in the theater, Miller had been taking a risk by bringing in paid actors for leading roles. We know now that while doing so might have helped drive higher attendance, it also led to deep deficits. By the fall, Miller and the board had taken out a $300,000 unsecured loan to keep up with the bills. Now, that was on top of an additional $100,000 that board members themselves had pitched in, 60,000 of which came in the form of loans. As part of the committee's report that you mentioned at the top, there is also evidence showing that in addition to taking on debt, the theater had also fallen behind on its bills. It has outstanding debts to a number of local entities, including RPU. It's also on the do not sell list for liquor distributors for failure to pay, and as we've reported. Cash became such an issue that twice in 2019, the organization found itself unable to make payroll.
0: It sounds like the board has been aware of these financial difficulties for some time. So why is the public just learning
1: about this now? Well, first, it's important to note that the theater is a private entity housed in a public facility. That means it's mostly up to the board to oversee its finances. Uh, From what has come out of the committee meetings, it sounds like Miller, perhaps inadvertently, was not fully communicating the extent of trouble the theater was in. The theater had also been optimistic that a large donation in the hundreds of thousands would come through. That, however, never materialized. So in short, there were just a lot of clumsiness, you could call it, on the part of both Miller and the board. And that is why you see the city now trying to find a new way forward. And there was some discussion about that in this week's committee meeting. Is there any idea yet on what the future may hold for the Civic Theater? The city is moving quickly on this, given that the theater's current season, its 68th, ends in May Already, City Administrator Steve Reimer has put forward recommendations, calling for the city to terminate its current contract with the theater, and then rethinking its approach to how it leases out the facility. What this will look like is not exactly clear, but Reimer this week described it as a collaborative performing arts model. He also said that he's engaged the Civic Music Department, which unlike the theater is a public entity, as well as the newly formed Mayo Civic Center Organization. The goal is to have a one-building strategy where the organizations find some sense of financial sustainability by working together to keep activity going in the building. Reimer also mentioned this could include engaging other public arts organizations in town. He also plans to hold a listening session before uh, going down this new path. If I'm correct, the city has already taken some first steps down this new path. Is that right? The city did demand that the theater return $150,000 of its contribution from the city. Uh, That check was delivered to the city last Friday. Also, as part of the review, it's also putting forward a conflict of interest policy that could prevent situations where board members are giving the organization loans. The city attorney has called those actions a clear conflict of interest. How might the
0: events at the Civic
1: Theater impact the city's approach to funding these outside groups? This is clearly not the first time a city-subsidized organization has landed in deep water if you can recall back to 2017, when the Art Center faced a moment of financial reckoning, so even before this month, modifying these types of agreements has been on the city's radar. Moving forward, I would definitely expect more due diligence. This week, Council Member Michael Wojak, who sits on the committee, suggested that the organizations receiving city funding should have to provide more frequent updates and financial statements. So there's clearly a lack of trust that these organizations themselves cannot provide the necessary oversight that the city's looking for. And lastly, I'd like to ask... Does this mean the end of the Civic Theater as we know it? No, but what it does mean is that it will likely need to operate under a new model. Reimer says the city plans to take the next few months to put together the details of how it might all work out. That will all come to the council for review in May. If you want to catch up on all of Sean's reporting on the recent
0: developments related to the Rochester Civic Theater, head over to medcitybeat.com forward slash news. Thanks, Sean, for joining us on the program.
1: Thanks, Isaac, for having me.
0: Finally, here's some events we're excited for this weekend presented by My Town My Music. See Lissy with special guest Jillian Ray at the castle on Saturday, March 27th. In the castle this Saturday night, it's local country artist Luke Hendrickson headlining a show to celebrate the release of his album One Night at the Crystal Lounge. Hendrickson is a native of Southern Minnesota and recorded this record at Carpet Booth Studios right here in Rochester. Special guests Tate McLean and Becky Schlegel round out the lineup. Music starts at 7 o'clock in Les Fields Hall. Also on Saturday, Forager Brewery welcomes Rochester's blues and soul standard bearer Annie Mack for an acoustic night of soulful tunes. Her voice is a voice that you need to hear if you haven't yet. It's a free show and it runs from 8 to 11 p.m. And we previously reported on the Rochester Children's Museum's imminent move to Apache Mall, but Sunday is their last day in their current space at River Center Plaza, just off North Broadway near Silver Lake. The museum is offering free admission all day as a thank you for eight successful years in their old digs. Bring the whole family out, because the museum won't open in the mall until the summer. That's all we have on The Rundown this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, the best way to support Med City Beat is to become a member be a part of quality local journalism at midcitybeat.com membership. I've been Isaac Janes for Med City Beat. Have a great weekend. Stay warm out there, and I'll talk to you next Friday.